and we are kicking off episode four here on the Let's Be Frank video podcast. I am Jason Duey, along with head coach Frank Monica. We're very excited to bring you some week three high school football recaps, week four previews, have a local college football roundup of some great games that happened this past weekend. We're going to have special guest Lionel Washington, who spent 15 years at cornerback in the NFL. Very excited to have him on. In our Let's Be Frank segment, we're going to talk about our athletes pampered. So I'm Jason Duey, along with head coach Frank Monica. Coach, another week in the books for football. High school football had some really big games happen this weekend as we previewed. But again, some, some big recaps that we're about to get to. No, no question. I mean, it's gone mighty quick. And as a football coach, you don't realize how fast it goes. But you, you know, you kind of you feel like you're in a tunnel and it's in a time warp the whole deal because it goes so quick. But now we're going to game four, and it's win or lose. I mean, you have to line up on Saturday morning and get ready for the next one anyway, and treat the injuries and, and get ready. But we had some great games this past weekend, and there's more to come because they haven't even started district play yet. As you've always said, Coach, as a football player, as a coach, you only get so many bullets in that chamber. Once you run out, the season's over, and it's it's the blink of an eye. You've, you've always preached that, and it's this season's no different. It seems like yesterday we're talking about preseason and, and getting some hype going, and now we have three weeks in the books looking forward to week four, and we're really excited to have some prep talk for you guys. And uh, Coach, starting out in the recap segment, you got to watch St. Charles Catholic play at Turling's in a big matchup, and can you talk about what you saw up there? Uh, two unbeaten teams, and uh, I'm telling you, the game went back and forth, and St. Charles jumped out to a nice lead, and uh, at, at halftime, uh, they were up 19, they were 19-7 at halftime. Turlings fought their way back with, with a big pass play. There was a busted coverage there, and, and they got back in the game a little bit, and then a little while later, I think there was a turnover. Uh, St. Charles, unfortunately, lost their quarterback early in the third quarter. Uh, that had a big impact because now he had to go to plan B as far as the offensive game plan was concerned. Uh, but the Turley was able to put it away. Uh, there was some there were some things that St. Charles about ready to ice the game. That first down on the one-yard line, first and goal on the one-yard line, and ready to go up by two scores. And there was a personal foul that backed them up and ended up with a field goal in that drive. So ended up being a big, big difference in the game. And early in, in the game, they missed a, a, a PAT, and uh, they went for two. On, on what people call the muddle huddle deal, and they didn't get that. It was Coach Steins' first loss as a head football coach at St. Charles, uh, but he's got many, many more W's in front of him. And Charles is a good football team. It was a great game, uh, and it was a playoff atmosphere. A young team going to grow up with that kind of adversity on the road like that. So uh, there's a lot of positive takeaway from that ball game. And we're going to change gears, check out LCA taking on Jesuit. Big time game. I got to watch this ball game 28 to 25. LCA beats Jesuit. Score doesn't show it. Jesuit really handled LCA in that first half. Defense played very sound football, contained the quarterback. There was a ton of scrambling and coverage sacks. Did a fantastic job. Unfortunately, despite a 17 to 7 halftime lead for Jesuit, it all evaporated. All State quarterback Jawan Johnson made some outstanding plays down the stretch. They scored 21 unanswered points in the second half, and Jesuit made a few plays late, but it was just too little too late. But we talked about how good LCA can be, but Jesuit is a very good football team. Coach Manali, of course, is done a fantastic job at Jesuit, and he will continue to do so. Jesuit's a team you're going to have to watch out for. When you talk about the Catholic League, not the first team you mentioned, maybe not even the second. But they have a very good future ahead of them in the season. 
And I think we're just starting to see the beginning. Next up, Coach, you're going to talk about Rummel at Shaw. Coach, what do you see in this one? Well, that was, a, that was a big game for Shaw. They put a lot of emphasis on this football game because last year they had a uh, burn burner at uh, Joe Yenny Stadium against uh, Rumble. So they thought that they had a, a very good chance. They have one of the fastest running backs in the state at Shaw. Uh, they were honoring the 1987 football team. They brought them back, and there were, there were tents all over the place, like a county fair atmosphere there. And um, and uh, they play for a megaphone every year. So that was a big, big game. Shaw put a lot of emphasis on it, knowing that their district is really, really not very, very tough. So they put a lot of a lot into this ball game. But Romo had jumped off the 14 nothing lead and uh, actually had the ball at midfield, had the ball stripped from him. And uh, Shaw scored a touchdown right before half to make it close. But then uh, Romo came out and had 17 unanswered points to put the game away. And that was a big win for, for Romo and, and Coach Nick Monica to go 3-0 and with a tough schedule uh, at the beginning of the season going into the, the, the tough district. And looking at UHI taking on Catholic, we mentioned last week how big of a game this was. Catholic gets the 31-21 to victory. Catholic trailed out the gate. We, we discussed how UHI is a smaller school but doesn't lack the talent. Catholic, of course, fought their way back as they always do. When you have a brutal schedule like that, you're battle-tested, and Catholic proved why they are one of the teams to beat in select Division One. High tried to fight their way back after trailing 31-14, but Catholic came up with an interception late to steal the game. And, again, these are two teams that you're going to see in semifinal and final rounds in the state playoffs, two very quality opponents taking the field, and it was just Catholic's game that night. Coach, Destrahan taking on East Ascension. We expected a really tight game. Destrahan really flexing their muscles in this ball game. But as you mentioned before, East Ascension kind of trying to figure things out with their backup quarterback. Yeah, Destrahan by far probably one of the best two teams in the entire state in any division. Uh, they're talented. Uh, they've outscored their opponents 133 to, to 8 in the first three games. Uh, from what I understand, they have nine D1 prospects on that football team. Nine. I mean, that's, that's, that's unbelievable that they can come up with that kind of talent. And I heard it's, it's pretty legit. I've not seen him physically yet. I plan to do that. Coach Marcus Scott, I coached him at one time at Jesuit High School. I know he's done a phenomenal job. He's got him really rolling. And uh, he's, EA had to play with that backup quarterback. He was the coach's son. And I think even he went to the third-team guy uh, as that game went on. But uh, look for Deftrian to be there uh, at the end. I mean, I, I don't see who can line up against him at this point. So much talent on that field when Destrahan is on it. And East Ascension is a speed bump, and I think you'll see them recover. St. Aug took on Zachary. St. Aug came out with a 24-20 to victory. Zachary led the game 17-3 coming out the half, but sadly, what seems to be a theme this week, Eli Holstein, quarterback for Zachary, went down in the fourth quarter. St. Aug battled their way back in the game. A uh, 43-yard touchdown with under six minutes proved to be the difference for St. Aug. But Amari Cooper, 181 passing yards in the second half proved to be too much. And we mentioned athletes on both sides of the field, but St. Aug just had the better night, and it worked out in their favor. Coach Benton and Newman, I'm not sure if it was a basketball game or a football game, but Newman pulls out the 54-52 win over Benton. And what a crazy game that was. Yeah, it looks like a social security number right there. I mean, that's, that's amazing. Uh, when I understand Newman uh, trailed at halftime 32 to 14, uh, they came back and Eli Manning, I mean, not Eli Manning, Archie Manning Jr. 
he actually threw for, for four touchdowns and he scored one by uh, his own uh, running ability. And it's something that everybody doesn't realize he can do, but he's he's a man now. He's put on some pounds, and he's a 200-pound quarterback at six foot four. So, 54-52, uh, and one of the reasons it was so high because uh, Benton, it comes Reynolds Moore is a good friend of mine. Uh, we worked the mini camp together, but he's a sprint offensive guy, fast pace, and his team scores, but they can't keep his defense off the field. And that's one thing about this spread offense that people don't realize that when you run the spread offense and you score it quickly, you put your defense on the field a lot faster. So you better be really good at the defense or you're going to see a lot of shootouts just like this one was. So hats off to Newman for coming back like that. They've now played real three quality opponents and unlike they've done in previous years. So uh, Coach Stewart has really upgraded this. And I think that's a good thing that he's done. He's upgraded that schedule to really prepare him for that tough playoff run. Thought they had a tough schedule coming up. Waiting to see who they're playing next. Week four previews. Hornville at Destrehan. Massive rivalry game. I don't think we need to tell people that. It kind of goes without saying. One of, if not the biggest rivalry in the entire state. Destrehan's looked extremely good, extremely impressive. As you mentioned, Coach, yeah, outscoring teams and defenses put the clamps on some teams. Hornville looking for their first win against Destrehan since 2017. How do you think this game shakes out and what do you expect to see? I talked to Coach Luquette this morning, and uh, he's, he's naturally concerned. Uh, he's got a very, very young football team. But as I told him, I said, you know, this is not the end of the world. Uh, there are many football games after this. This will help his young team grow up and uh, just prepare him for the, for the future. That's a good thing about the playoff situations, that uh, it's not the end of the season. And uh, these games will get you ready for that. Uh, it'll be hard for, for them to keep up, the, I think, pace with Destrian. Both teams will be fired up, but I think at the end, Destrian will probably prevail and, and, and just because of the talent. And, and, and I think they'll be ready and, uh, to play on both sides. It'll be a, uh, for, for a quarter or so, but you can see at the end that Destrian probably has more depth. Next up, Curtis at Jesuit. We just talked about the Jesuit game, at, but Curtis went on the road, won a, a really tough game in Mississippi. A Jesuit beat them twice last year. And their defense looked really solid against LCA despite giving up 28 points. Curtis with that big road win, what are you expecting to see in this matchup? Well, I know talking to Coach Curtis this summer, he really liked his offensive line. And when he likes his offensive line, that's trouble for a lot of people. Because when they run that split back veer and they run that hard dive, uh, they're actually stepping to the line of scrimmage and hitting the ball off. And all of a sudden you look up and say, well, we stopped them. Well, they just gained five yards. You don't realize the impact until you play Curtis, the impact what that fear attack does. And he's got, when he's got the alignment up front to do that, and, it, and I think he's got two fine quarterbacks. He's got two kids that can throw the ball better than he's had in the past. Uh, so they're just not runners. So I think that you can see um, they could be the dark horse of that, of that Catholic league. So don't count Curtis out at all. In our next matchup, Newman taking on Manny in a big select, non-select matchup. Manny is obviously favored to win Division Three non-select side the bracket, and rightfully so. They've earned that right to get that recognition. Manny's outscored opponents 123-13, to 3-0 start. Newman has been tested physically on the field. What are you look, looking at seeing after that big comeback that Newman had against Benton? Well, let me tell you this. I would love to see this for myself I wouldn't, if I wasn't going to do my uh, St. Charles Catholic game. But uh, Manny is the one that called and asked for this game. And they said, that we'd like you to, to play a, a home-home deal series with us and the whole deal because Manny was one of the staunch supporters of the split. 
and uh, they wanted to see the split by all means. And now they're playing against a you know, select school and uh, sort of kind of compare notes to see exactly where they stand. And, uh, and Newman's accepting that challenge uh, with that. So we understand that man is very, very talented. Uh, they, they just they just don't have a, just a, a normal 218. They got some very talented athletes in that area. Uh, they do get athletes from that entire parish. So it's going to be quite a game. But, but I think Newman will be up to the task, and, and they, have to, they have to stop not only that passing game, but Newman's been able to run the ball a little bit. So uh, I know Coach Curtis had managed. They'll be excited. The community will be excited. And uh, the, the media wants to see this matchup because it's kind of unprecedented, and it's kind of a, a new rivalry, with, with, uh, and that's what we like. We like to see rivals like this, and that's the one thing about the select, non-select, that, that all those things are eliminated with this, this two different divisions. I think that Newman offense versus that Manny defense is going to be a fascinating matchup, and we're going to really get to see the fireworks in that matchup. East St. John takes on Thibodeau. East St. John, 3-0 start. Uh, as I've said before, mix of young and older talent, a ton of athletes on the offensive side of the football. Thibodeau off to a bit of a shaky start, but played some good teams, including St. James, who they dropped the game to last week. They have the talent, but they're looking to get their footing coming into district play. Uh, you know, I'm happy for Coach Brown because you know, he's had some hard times there and with the storms and things like that to get his team together and the school, for that matter. So now it looks like things are back to normal a little bit. He's got some good talent. He hasn't played a tough schedule yet. That's the only thing that you look concerned about, and Thibodeau has. Uh, now, Thibodeau can score some points. It looks like they have a problem stopping people. So this could be an interesting matchup um, in, in district play. So um, this could be a very, very close ball game and a very interesting game. De La Salle taking on St. Charles Catholic in our next matchup. St. Charles suffered their first loss of the year just a week ago. As you mentioned, their first loss in over a season. Uh, St. Charles is, of course, going to have to find their way to win the ball game with a backup quarterback. Del Sal is a very big physical ball club, the exact opposite of Turlings in the sense that they want to ground and pound, run the football behind their big offensive line with their extremely talented running back. We talked about offense-defensive matchups. This is a massive matchup between St. Charles' defense taking on that big physical De La Salle football team up front. Uh, Coach Graham Jarrett has done a great job over that De La Salle and and uh, I understand talking to Coach Wayne Stein that they have a tackle that's six foot seven. He weighs three, three thirty or something like that. They have a massive offensive line. They like to run the football. And um, and, uh, and 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 even though Brady St. Pierre's the backup quarterback of St. Charles, uh, listen, don't sell them short because Brady is a very capable quarterback. Uh, he's, he's got a he's got a fine arm. And uh, the the one thing is that the years that we've played in the South, they've really been some tough tough ball games. I mean. They've gone down to the wire. I don't see this one being any different. And when the team is one-dimensional against uh, St. Charles Catholic, that defense will find a way uh, to, to uh, slow them down. So that could, be a, that could be a very interesting game also. It was a tight ball game just a year ago as well. A very low-scoring defensive struggle. We'll see if that's a theme moving into this game. Moving on, St. Aug taking on Carr in the Saturday matchup. Both teams coming off big wins. Another we mentioned last week potentially Superdome repeated game uh, or predecessor, I should say. D1 talent all over the field. What do you expect to see in this one? Oh, my goodness. Uh, uh, this is going to be some kind of battle. No telling how many fans will be there. They could potentially draw 15,000, 20,000 uh, this ball game. A lot of people interested in seeing it, especially after St. Aug, big win last week. Uh, St. Aug is all of a sudden 
come up with a lot of good players. And um, many of their players are coming from different schools that played at different schools within the last two years. And uh, and uh, so Carr, you know, got that traditional kids from the West Bank and all this stuff. And Coach Bryce Brown always has them, has them playing real hard at the, at the top level. And uh, and this is going to be interesting to see how Carr does. Uh, and everybody's saying, well, they think they're going to run away with the Catholic League. I don't think so. The Catholic League is pretty competitive. And what they do in the Catholic League, everybody scouts you. So they will see all your tape. And I mean, it's just, and, and no matter when you play, everybody's there scouting you. So they see all your tape. And I mean, they know everything about you. So it's not that easy uh, to win in the Catholic League. So, But this game is going to show showcase a lot of D1 prospects. And uh, I mean, if I'm a college scout, I'm certainly getting this tape. And it'll be an exciting one to see, as you mentioned, if you're a college coach, especially in the state of Louisiana, you're at this game or you're at least getting filmed from this game. You have at least one or two scouts watching this ball game live. We're going to go ahead and take a look at college football and take a look at the local schools and what they were able to do this weekend and give a few previews. Coach starting out Mississippi State at LSU. LSU finds a way to win 31-16. to A lot of positives for the Tigers. We're able to come back and win this game. Special teams still – in a word, atrocious uh, from what we've seen. But LSU finds a way to win after a strong defensive performance. Well, hats off to that defense. They really played after that first initial drive. I mean, they, they were really, really quite effective. They played with nickel and dime defensive backs, meeting that five and six defensive backs at some time. Uh, and they, they put speed on the field. And that's what you do with this, this type of air raid offense or uh, the, the, the so-called spread offenses. You put more speed on the field. So defenses are built differently nowadays. That's one thing LSU has. They have secondary guys, so they seem like they're pretty deep there. So that should help them down the road because everybody's in that in that thing. But um, I, I thought that finally, I think they got running back. The Williams kid ran extremely hard. Uh, so it looks like they, they came up with a better running game. But I think the difference is that quarterback's a playmaker. He's not the most accurate guy, and every now and then he's – he just floats some balls, and it looks like he just kind of throws it away. I don't know if he keeps his eyes up the field as long as he's like to see him to, but he's a great scrambler. Because once he starts, he's got a burst, and that touchdown run, as soon as he started opening, I mean, he hit that hole like a running back. And so that makes him a dual threat because no matter – coaches, defense coaches hate to see a running quarterback because you can't play two-man or pure man, and if you do blitz him and he gets by the blitz, I mean, there's nothing there. So you, you give way to a lot, a lot of big plays that way. And, and I think that he's, he makes them go. He really does. And I don't know if, they're, if they've learned their offense yet. They look like they're getting better. But uh, I will say this, and you just alluded to it, I think their special teams right now are a mess. I think, you know, if they don't have that holding call on the kickoff, it's a different game. And the holding call came away from the play. It was holding, but he came away from the play. Most officials, they say, well, if it doesn't affect the play, I'm not going to call it. You know, but they did. They did call that one, and um, but uh, you know they did with the beneficiary of a muff punt. So you got to give the special teams credit for that. But there are a lot of things that return yards in coaching. You call that hidden yards, and those hidden yards they don't show up in the stats. But a, a punt return, for instance, for 20 yards doesn't show up in the stats. A kickoff return out to the 40 doesn't show up in the stats. But what that does, it creates a short field. It's called hidden yards, short, short field for your offense. And if you do punt the ball, then the other team is going, it's going to the left of the field. So, so those hidden yards are very, very important. And LSU's got to really clean that up. And their offense seemed to be rolling near the end of that game. After not converting any third-down conversions in the first half, really did well down the stretch. 
But also important to note, Mississippi State went for it on fourth down almost in a disrespectful undertone, going for it on their own 35-yard line multiple times. They were only converting one time throughout the game. But again, you have to give your hats off to LSU's defense for stepping up. In a big win on the road, Tulane takes down Kansas State 17-10. to Green Wave moves on to 3-0. and And, you know, coming from last year to now, how far have they come? And it's been an impressive start for Tulane thus far. Well, I think this what everybody, and I mentioned this earlier, uh, what people don't realize what they went through last year because of Hurricane Ida. Uh, they had to relocate and live in Birmingham. They had to practice at different facilities. And uh, they, the mirror was a disaster. I mean, just the accommodation that they needed. Bunch of the practice, bunch of the games. And uh, this year, uh, they were able to, and the schedule helped. I mean, playing Massachusetts first and, and then playing Alcorn and, and then getting ready, helped them prepare for Kansas State. But they went on the road. And when you go on the road and, and beat a fine football team like Kansas State, that uh, you know, Bill Snyder still, you know, he echoes around that stadium. And uh, they did a great job on defense. I understand that defense were, were, were lights out against, against them. And, and um, uh, they stopped that back for 76 yards. He's one of the better backs that, around. He's Darren Sproles type back. He's five foot six, but he could really go. And uh, he's had a number of games over 100 yards, and and uh, Tulane stopped that streak. So credit to Coach Fritz, and and um, you know, I knew the game would they would be competitive in the game, and they were they, they were gearing towards that game. And and uh, I don't know if they they covered the so-called spread, but they did more than that. They won on the road, and now they're off to a three-zero start, and that should give them a lot, a lot of confidence. You know, people ask what comes first, the, the the winning or the confidence. And I've always felt the winning first. So once you start to win. Then all of a sudden they start to believe and say, hey, I got to believe what coach is telling us and put us in position. So, um, and and that's going to lead us in next week. So it'd be interesting because he's going to be our guest speaker next week on our show. And Tulane does have Southern Miss uh, this upcoming week. Got to make sure you stay level-headed in that big game because as we talked about off-air, Coach Marshall came off a big win against Notre Dame and after your highest high comes your lowest low. Drop the game to Bowling Green. So make sure to keep an eye out on that one as they take on Southern Miss. And Nickel point State. There, Jason, the, the, uh, another point on that game, uh, the, the head coach over there is at uh, Southern Mississippi, who's offensive coordinator for Coach Fritz two years ago. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see to see how that game turns out because he's now running the offense for Southern Mississippi also. Another intriguing point in that matchup. Nickel State dropped a game to Southeast Missouri this past week. But, Coach, they played Jacksonville State, a team that's played really well. They have another opportunity to come back and, and right the ship. And, of course, very talented ball club, very well-coached team. I'd expect them to be able to turn things around and you have a chance this week against Jacksonville State. Yeah, I think Coach Rebo is going to get them rebounding. Uh, you know, they, they're getting ready for that conference play, and that's that's going to be a big, big difference in – Little, they, they're playing up in the schedule and uh, with a young football team and a new quarterback. Uh, the quarterback, is a, he's a gamer, but it's going to take time for them to grow up. And, you know, and, and there's still a lot of football left to play. And when you get in the conference, you still can get yourself in the playoff situation by winning the conference. So that's what's at stake right now. In the last game we're going to discuss is Southeastern defeated Central Connecticut 70-6 to in that matchup. That's their first FCS team that they've played a big win for them. But now they got to take on an unbeaten Incarnate Word squad, which got a, a road win against an FBS opponent in Nevada. Yeah, Coach, Coach Selfo does a fine job of motivating his guys. He's got a quarterback that uh, I think is destined to be an NFL player. He's a big, tall, strong guy. 
and uh, they can light up the scoreboard. They can put some points up there. And if they play a little defense, I mean, this could, they could contend for the conference championship. So uh, I, I look for them to be there when, when all everything's said and done after game 11. I, I look for them to be there and be one of the contenders in, in, that, in that division. And that'll wrap things up for segment one. We're going to go ahead and give a word to our sponsor, Ocado and Dufresne Law Firm. Samuel Ocado Jr. and Arnery P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Sammy Ocado and Henri Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. When we come back from the break in segment two, we have special guest Lionel Washington. So don't touch that doll. You're watching the Let's Be Frank video podcast. Samuel Licardo Jr. and Henri P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Sammy Accardo and Ari Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. Based out of Gramercy, Louisiana, LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. LSR utilizes the latest innovations in technology, as well as ensuring the growth and stability of Louisiana sugarcane farmers by integrating more than 800 growers in the industry's economic structure. Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Rouse's supermarkets. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Our goal has been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen. Starting in 1981 as an industrial vacuum truck company, A3M Vacuum Services has grown to be an industry leader in waste disposal services. Whether it's providing cleanup crews for plant maintenance or emergency crews for environmental cleanup and disposable projects around the river parishes and New Orleans, A3M Vacuum Services maintains the same level of personal customer relations and work ethic that founder Pat Sellers started almost 40 years ago. Proud supporters of Comet Athletics. If you're looking for commercial or residential dump truck services, go with R&K Construction. This family owned and operated business has great trucks and are big supporters of high school sports. Smoothie King LaPlace thanks the community for 29 years. Through the good times and the toughest times, Smoothie King has been here to serve our guests. Whether you're looking for a keto-friendly smoothie, a recovery smoothie, or a healthy, refreshing snack, Smoothie King has you covered. Discover all the ways to be your best self and rule the day with Smoothie King. If you're in need of storage space at your home or business, stop by and visit with the good folks at Acadia LLC. Seth Boudreaux and his employees are there weekdays from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. and Saturdays from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Give them a shout at 985-359-1333 or visit them at 1301 West Airline Highway in Laplace.
Tonight, our special guest played high school football, basketball, and competed in track at Lutcher High School. He won a state title in football in 1978. Started at cornerback for four years while he attended Tulane and was drafted by the St. Louis Cardinals in round four. He's one of only four athletes to play cornerback for 15 years in the NFL. Coached both in the NFL and college football, including defensive coordinator as alma mater Tulane. And he was also inducted into the Louisiana Hall of Fame. We'd like to introduce our special guest, Lionel Washington. And Lionel, you got the opportunity to win a state title with Coach Monica at Lutcher. What was it like playing under him and getting a chance to win that title at your hometown school? Uh, it was everything. Coach Monica is the one that got me to come off of football because I, I was a tall, skinny kid that weighed 150 pounds soaking wet. So he convinced me to come out and give it a try, and I did. And I guess the rest is history, as you can say that. But Coach Monica was a disciplined uh, Marion uh, coach. He was a, a good coach. He cared about each and every one of us. So that made it a lot easier for me when I did decide to come out and play. And uh, I got a chance to go out there and enjoy myself, have some fun with some other guys I knew. So that made it a lot easier once Coach Monica came out and asked me to come out. And I knew he had my best interest at heart. Thanks for saying that, Mac. I really appreciate that. But, but listen, you had all the ability in the world. Uh, he was an excellent point guard. He had the quickest hands you ever wanted to see. Uh, in fact, we almost thought that he was going to sign with Southern University to play to play a, a basketball. But what people don't know is that he, he ran a 13-7 in the hurdles, and uh, and that's one of the fastest times in the state. He was a 4-4 athlete, and I think he might even got down to 4-3. Did you, did you coach at one time, get it down to 4-3? Coach, get it right, Coach. 4-2-9. Four, four, two, nine. That's what I thought. That's faster than the speed and bullet. My goodness. The, uh, that, that's right. The, the older we get, the better we were when we were young. I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I really, I really thought he was a phenomenal, phenomenal athlete and a great guy, a great leader. And uh, you know, when he signed to go to Tulane, he started as a as a freshman there. He signed in, in sometime in February. Then in May, uh, I was lucky, Coach. Coach, uh, I think a guy left. Coach Smith's staff and a friend of mine, but my buddy guys, he brought me in and asked Coach Smith to hire me, and I got to my first college opportunity there. So uh, it was by design that for, that we get meet up again. I didn't coach him directly in college, but uh, he had a phenomenal year, all conference guy, and, and I had a chance to go to two bowl games his first two years there. And I'm thinking, I know you remember our first time we played at Penn State in the Liberty Bowl. We were nine and two that year. Yeah. Uh, played Penn State in the rain with Joe Paterno. Then the next year, in 1980, we played Lou Holson against Arkansas. Do you remember those days? I remember those games, Coach. That was, that was some great games. They got an opportunity to play against some excellent football players, some, a lot of the guys that got drafted. Uh, matter of fact, Matt Millen was a the linebacker there that played for Penn State, and I ended up playing with him at the Raiders. So a lot of good, good football players that I got an opportunity to play against. And, and going to Tulane, we had some great coaches there. And, you know, those guys made it a lot easier because they held us and held everybody accountable. And as, as a football player, once you start to grow and understand what it's all about, um, you know, you held yourself accountable also. I remember a real quick story about that. Coach, we were at the P, we were staying at that uh, Peabody Hotel in Memphis. And um, we everybody went to Silky Sullivan's there. They invited both teams there. You remember that night? Yes. And yes, we I did. walked in Silky Sullivan. The Penn State team were there. They had the navy blue T-shirt. They all were two sizes too small, and they had the <laughs> big guns sticking out right there. And Coach Smith said, "Listen, guys, you guys have only to be curfew. No curfew tonight." 
All of a sudden, about 11.30, the whole team starts walking in the lobby, and we, the coach was standing and said, guys, why are you doing here so early? He said, coach, did you see those guns on those guys? We're going to bed. So I remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> but we, yes. But we played our buns off, and I think uh, Joe Paterno read a halfback pass. Uh, you remember that? Yes, sir. It, it, it took a halfback pass to beat us. That's what it, that's what it took that game. And uh, I got an opportunity to play a lot in that game, and it's like, oh, man. I was so afraid. I'm not getting beat, but just to see those big guys out there, I didn't think I was going to be able to physically handle some of that, a lot of the running game because they're big running backs. But uh, it all worked out. It all worked out well for me, and uh, I really enjoyed enjoyed my time at Tulane and gave me a great opportunity to really grow as, as a player and as, as a person. No question. I don't know if you remember the quarterback on that Penn State team. was a guy by the name of Todd Blackledge. He was the quarterback on that team. Matt, Matt Coogan was on that team. Uh, Eric Rush was a guard. I mean, they were just loaded with all Americans, you know. That, um, Matt, one thing I, I want to point out, when you, um, at, I don't know if you remember this, we were playing East Ascension, and they had a heck of a football team back in the high school, and we moved you to safety. And I think this is the game that really got you recruited more than anything else. We mm -hmm. moved you to safety, and you had the quarterback on the veer coming all the way down from 12 yards. And that night, you made 14 tackles, if you if you remember that. Do you remember yeah. that game? I remember that game, and uh, it, it was – I didn't think I would be able to tackle some of these big backs, but, you know, Coach Richard told me, let's go in and keep your head up, keep your eyes open, and wrap up. So I, I took that to heart, and I, I did those things that he told me to do because I never played football before before that year. So I had the opportunity to go out there and do that, and that was the game that really got me going because I, I once I was able to make those tackles and understand what it was all about, started to understand angles. And playing safety is all about angles. And, and so once I understood that part of it, and it was a lot easier for me to come out and wrap up, make tackles, and get them down. Yeah, no, no question. Uh, Coach, what, right now, tell the people, how was it like to work for Al Davis? I know you, you worked for the Raiders <laughs> for a long time, and, and now you, you were a personal friend of his. Yes. I know yes. he loved to play man coverage, didn't he? That's how we play. We, play cat, we call it cat coverage. You know, it's, <laughs> you got that cat, you got that cat, you got that cat that's lined up and play. But uh, Coach, Coach Davis was, we always call him coach. Uh, he always was that type of guy that give you an opportunity. He believed in second chances. Um, if he give it to you, you better take advantage of it because he wasn't going to be around a long time if he didn't go out and perform. And he was that type of person that, you know, he held you accountable. And if you don't go out and play, you won't, you know, you won't be there. That's the type of uh, business that he ran with the Raiders. And uh, everybody loved him. Because he was that type of guy, he he believed in second chances, and in the way he ran this of his organization is one of the top in the country, and he still is one of the top in the leagues right now. So his son is running everything now, but Mr. Davis was one of those guys that you only get a chance once in a lifetime to be around and be coached by him. And also, he was our owner, but he was on the field every day coaching it. He always wanted to coach the DBs up, also. So. <laughs> Well, of course, I remember you when you coordinated at Tulane. I mean, with, with, under Curtis Johnson, your defense was one of the better defenses in the conference. You had a you had a heck of a run there as a defense coordinator. Yes, we have some great coaching coaches on the, on, the, on defense coaching staff. Jason Rawlings, Mr. Um, name Jason, and a couple other guys, the young guys that were real good. They came in and did a great job of recruiting. And coach, as, as I know and you know, it's, it's all about recruiting at the college level. If you can get some guys going to come in and trust and believe what you're putting out there and, and going out and playing hard for 60 minutes, uh, you always have a chance to win and be successful. And we had a lot of smart guys, too, and that also made it a lot easier. They were able to correct my mistakes 
You know, so I wouldn't worry about if I mess up, somebody was going to correct me. So I wouldn't worry about correcting them because Tulane, you go to Tulane, you have to really study, be a good student, and, and um, you know, it's going to work out well for you. But we have some good football players in those guys. As a matter of fact, Coach has still got about five or six guys still playing in the league that the four years we were there, those guys, some of those guys are still playing. Yeah, and that's that's impressive. Coach, do you remember this? Do you remember this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that was one of that's one of the great, 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 great moments there, man. Uh, oh, no question. I got inducted into the Hall of Fame, and uh, hey, Coach Monica introduced me. Yeah, uh, because uh, everybody kept asking, "Who's going to introduce you?" And I, I knew already who was going to do it. Coach Monica didn't know; nobody knew but me. And I, because I, I know he gave me the opportunity to go out and, and play football and then do what I love doing. I didn't think I was going to love it as much as I did. And I, you know, 40 years later, I'm just getting away from that. So, um, you know, he, he was he, he, he's the one that really got me started. That's the family right there. My sister, my wife, my daughters. So that, that, that was, that was, that was a good, good, good night that night. And, and that's something I'm always going to remember. Um, Maybe next time I told my nephews and nieces, well, my nephews anyway, we're going to go out to uh, Natchitoches next year and, and visit the Hall of Fame and so they can see what it's all about and they get a chance to see the uncle in, in, in a right. very if, place. If you, cut, if you cut this little short Italian guy out, you know. You, <laughs> <laughs> no, you, got, you got to keep that guy in there, man. He's the one that got everything started. Uh, he was sitting in the stands talking about you Friday. I went to lunch again Friday and uh, a lot of guys that play for you, we all talked about you. you it was all good, you know, how, how it was with you, how, how you kept us disciplined. And you made sure that you held everybody accountable. And, you know, he's going to get on everybody's case, no matter who you are, no matter how great you were as a player in high school, no matter what it is, you know, he's going to get on your case. So you do wrong, he's going to get on your case. You do right, he's going to get on your case. So no matter what you do, Coach Monica right there on top of us. And, and that's what we needed. We needed someone to stay on top of us to keep us disciplined and uh, so we can learn how to be disciplined when we're out there by ourselves. And, and that made a difference in my career. Coach, let me ask you this. The, um, I see DBs and there's a lot of like yesterday, I think that, that led to that little skirmish yesterday for the Saints in Tampa Bay, but um, uh, DBs down, I don't know what, what's, what's, what's a penalty anymore because receivers push off and, and there's a lot of hand fighting going on. What's your take on that? And especially in the NFL. And at the NFL level, you know, you're not supposed to touch them after five yards, but they give you a little room to play with them. As long as you don't grab and pull, it's, it's a technique also. I don't see the guys using it anymore. That's some of the things that we use. I learned from Lester Hayes and Mike Haynes that it's always a pressure point that you apply to the hip because anytime a receiver is going to go out in motion, he's going to break down, he got to sink his hips. And that's when you want to put your hand on that receiver then and push down and push pressure. Don't let him come out of his cut. And but these guys, uh, I don't understand that part of it. And you know, but I don't know when, when I when I played, that's what I did because I had guys helped me and understood that and understood that part of the game. And I coached at the NFL level, that's exactly what I coached also because it's something that worked and, and it's something I believed in because I did it. And I had other guys that did it also, Hall of Fame guys that have done it. So, uh, Willie Brown, Mike Hans, Lester Hayes, all those guys are Hall of Famers. So uh, anytime you get that opportunity to play with those guys and learn from those guys, that's what you want to do. You want to keep implementing all different type of techniques. You want to make it sure, but at the same time, you want to implement what you learn from them and just keep keep teaching these young kids how, how to play the game of football because it's changed some over the years, but at the same time, you got to block and you got to tackle. That's something 
Mr. Davis always said you're blocking your tackle. Team that block and tackle the best is the nine or ten times it's going to be the team that's going to win the most games. Yeah, man, I noticed that, Coach. And one thing that we started to teach soon, I think Lattimore did it on the plate, is what they call an armbar technique. He took mm -hmm. his elbow next to his side and just armbarred the guy, and the hand wasn't extended and just kind of rolled him out of bounds. You know what I mean? And I think that's what he got upset about in the whole yeah, game. Yeah, he did. Most receivers will get upset about that. They want to flag every time. But uh, the thing is, I always told my guys is uh, control your emotions, you know. So not never too high, never too low. I always tell them stay below your nose. If you stay below your nose, keep your emotion below your nose, you can talk and you can breathe. So if you can do those two things, you're always going to be in control of what's happening. And, and you can always stay focused and locked in because that next play is coming. And if it could be you again or it could be the other guy on the other side of the field. So cornerbacks always got to be locked in and, and, and stay locked in and stay focused on that job because at any given play, you could be for a touchdown. Coach, I remember because you were corner your whole life, and I remember as a college player and a pro player, but uh, I also remember Lester Hayes when he worked out right prior to the Super Bowl. Uh, he was in the office with us, and we asked him, he said, um, Lester, you accused of, of not being a good tackler. He said, let me tell you something. They don't pay me to tackle. They pay me to cover. <laughs> so that's probably, that's probably the truth. He's the guy that actually, I think, caused the, the stick of to be outlawed. Was that not Yeah, right? he's, 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 he's that guy, yes. Because when I first got there to the Raiders, he, he's still wearing it all over his jerseys and pants and socks. And he, he, was, he was a tremendous, tremendous Smart football player, coach. You you would not believe how smart he was as a football player. You know he can tell you what to do and what's going to happen before it happens. And that's all about studying and becoming a student of the game. Man. And that's how I learned from that guy. You know you, you got a chance to see what he was doing, understand what he was doing, and you sit in the meeting room with him. And we didn't stay in the meeting room but no more than about forty five minutes, and we get in and we get out. But those forty five minutes, we're going to find something that we can hang our hat on and say, okay. Anytime this guy line up outside the number, he's doing this. Inside the number, he's doing that. On the number, he's doing this. So, And we trust that and believe that. And I think that's the most important thing for a lot of the young players out there. you got to believe and trust what you study and what you know. If you do that, then a lot of times you're going to be successful. I think because what people don't know is how many times when you were working, you put on a kid's clinic here in the River Parishes, and you mm -hmm. did it every summer on your own nickel. And you just wanted to coach kids and teach them I remember speaking at it one time, and you had a, a great turnout of, of about 300 kids or so, gave them T-shirts, and, and you did it every summer. You just wanted to give something back to the community. You remember those days? Yes, Coach, I did. And, and you know what? It's the crazy thing. I had these, over the last four or five years now, I had people walk up to me and say, thank you. And I said, for what? You know, what did I do? And it's one of the kids was saying that you give the football camp, uh, and, man, we enjoyed it. We, we, got, we got better. We got a great understanding of all. Uh, um, what's it about? And we got a chance to meet other NFL football players. We got a chance to meet you. And many kids told me you were, you were a great example. And I, that's the part that made me feel real good because anytime you, you know, a young kid walk up to you now, he's a young man, he said I was a great example for him and for them. So it, it makes you feel good. It lets you know that you did it the right way. And I got to thank Coach Monica and, of course, my dad and mom for raising me the right way and, and holding me accountable. Anytime you're held accountable. You're supposed to go out and do the things you're supposed to do and do it right. And and and, and when you do when you do mess it up, man, find a way to get back on track because you're not, you're not always going to do things right. You're going to make some mistakes in life because that's all about learning and understanding and and, and getting experience in, in, in this in everyday life. And that football is only going to last 
a certain amount of time. And once it's over, it's over. You can't play anymore. And I knew once it was over, I knew I wanted to coach because I had a great example in Coach Monica, Coach Coach Harper, Coach Patton, and those guys that really groomed me for doing what I did for the last 35, 40 years. So uh, I'm very thankful and very grateful that I had people in my life that really cared about me as a human being and, and also as a football player. Well, your sincerity, Coach, was 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 actually very evident every time you held something like that on your own. Uh, Coach, what one question I'd like to ask. We just had Frost guy fired at Nebraska. Uh, I just saw where Edwards was fired at Arizona State in the middle of the season like this. And it really it breaks my heart to see that happen to coaches in the middle of the season because I know that internally it's a tough ride. What's your take on that? It is a tough ride, Coach, because it's making it so hard on, on on other coaches because, you know, the interim coach is going to come out and he's going to try to, you know, put on the display because he's trying to interview for the job himself. and But it's going to be a hard. And I think once you get the players to come in and trust and believe in what's going on, then you got a chance to maybe win some football games. If, and if not, those guys are bitter and, and you got guys that – glad that the coach is no longer there. Some guys can play harder. Some guys won't play hard. So you got to still about to be able to find out who's going to fight for you as a, as a coach, what players are going to fight, what players are not going to fight. And you got to find a way to get them going. You got to manipulate them or whatever you got to do to get them playing. You got to get that done. And uh, Coach Everett, you know, uh, he played when I played. He's a couple years older than I, but he's also an excellent, excellent football coach. And and coaching is a crazy business, man. Coach, you've been in for over, over 50 years, and 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 you know how it is. You know how it works. You know, understand the ups and downs of it. You know, some some games, some years you're going to be good, and other times you're not. Everybody wants you to win every year, but it's, it's never going to happen like that. And um, in the bad years, you just got to keep plugging and keep plugging and keep getting better or find a way to get better. And in the years you're going to win, you got to enjoy those years and – and when it's good, it's good. When it's bad, it's bad. So just, exactly, just got to be able to just push through every 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 good and every bad year. Well, I, and I don't like you know, especially with the transfer portal. You know, a lot of those players are already on the phone. You know what I mean? And and yeah. you have to re-recruit your team and re-recruit your coaching staff because those coaches know that they're they're lame ducks. So they're on the phone looking for their next job also. So that's a that's a tough situation this early in the year. I don't know why administrators don't suck it up and say, wait, let's wait. Uh, wait, wait, wait. The end, you know, I mean, that's uh, it, it hurts the entire program. It sets it back. Look, look, look at LSU. It set LSU back maybe four or five years. Yeah, Lionel, I know we, we discussed a little bit before when I was introducing you. You played in the NFL for 15 years. What does it take? Any advice for any younger quarterbacks out there who are looking to play in the league or play for a long extended period of time? What does it take to have that type of longevity? playing football at any type of elite level? Well, I think for as long as you go, you, you take one year at a time and you, you got to work your butt off, man. You got to be so disciplined as, as, as a football player and as a person, more importantly. I, I think that you got to have a great work ethic and what you're doing and have a great understanding of what you need to do and how you should do it. And each year you got to kind of find and learn something new. Find something that you didn't do last year and do it better this year. Um, and I think that's the key for, for that was the key for me, being able to understand my body, what it's going to take for my body to go through 15, through maybe 20 games, even in the playoffs, because it's a lot of football that we play, man. And it's, it's, it's hard. It's, it's a lot of beating on the body, a lot of falling, a lot of, a lot of getting up. And, 
and just just being able to go for 15 years uh, somebody that asked me that 30 years ago i would never say i may have said maybe i got a chance to maybe play three or four years but i ended up playing 15 and that's a blessing from god and and and, and this uh, i guess this hard work paying off and if i always tell kids you work hard always give yourself a chance to get better to do better and 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 just go out and give it your best. Coach, you know, I, I've mentioned this before. All those guys in the league are getting paid. I mean, you can take <laughs> most of the corners. <laughs> most of, you can take most of the corners and put them in one gym, and you pick them out. They all look the same. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. D-line or whatever. But what separates, in your opinion, the, the great teams from the average teams or, or the good teams from the average team? And, and as far as one guy explained it to me best, he said, you have to manage egos. He said, if you can do that, you become a good coach. Being being a good coach at that level, coaches, is it's uh, it's all I, I agree with you, managing your players in your room. If you you secondary coach, you got to, and secondary the DBs are the hardest guys in the world to coach. Trust me, I know because I was one. So <laughs> <laughs> if you can manage if you can manage your DB room, then you got a chance to have a great defense because um, those guys gonna go out and do all the necessary things, all the little things. Uh-huh. That they do those little things right, man, and I think that's the thing I always harped on. I harp on the little things, do the little things right, alignment, assignment, technique. Understand those things. You have different technique every play, every alignment, every every down is going to be something going to be different. Every place is a different play. So I always tell them, man, stay locked in and stay focused, because uh, playing that position, you, know, you can. Make an interception, two players later, you get beat for a touchdown. So you don't have time to celebrate. And that's one of the things I don't like about what the guys do. They celebrate too much. You know, that's fine to do that if you make a big play. Celebrate for a little while and get to the sideline and get ready for the next play because sometimes when you celebrate too much, you lose sight, you lose focus on what's the real reason for being there. Because you didn't do it by yourself. You got 10 other guys to help you make that play. So, And, and, and that's the thing I always told a guy when I coached at that level. Hey, man. Go to the sideline, celebrate with the guys on the side by saying, hey, thanks for getting pressure. Thanks for doing your job or whatever it may be. And that's going to carry you a lot longer than you out there dancing and, and, you know, trying to let everybody see you pounding your chest. So, but that's the way the young kids are these days. And that's the way the football have have grown in that sense because everybody's about me, 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 me. But, hey, that's the way it is. So, so I guess that's some of the things that um, you have to live with. Especially that's without a great point. football player. Yeah. yeah I, I, had, I, 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 you know, I had an opportunity to coach a great one at Charles Woodson, man. He was yeah. – whoo, it was hard coaching him. <laughs> but at the same time, once I got him to believe and trust and believe in me and what I was trying to teach him, you didn't have to teach him a whole lot. Coach. You just had to get him to the field. Get him to, <laughs> get him to the stadium on Sunday because he was a smart football player. He was a great guy that studied a lot and had a great understanding. A good understanding of um, – what he's supposed to do and how he was going to do it. And coach, if he said he's going to do something, oh my God, he went out and did it. You know, he's yeah. one of those guys to remind me of myself a lot, but he has so, his ball skill was so much better than mine and he had great hands, but uh, he was an excellent football player, man. Uh, excellent football player. Well, coach, listen, I know you're a great spiritual guy and I want you to keep that up, but uh, last and final, tell us a little bit about, about, tell us about your family. Give us a rundown on your family. I, I, got, I, got three kids. I got two daughters and, and a son. My son is um, lives in um, Charlotte right now. He's married with three boys. I got three grandsons. How tall is he, man? How tall he's is he? Six, he's six, seven. His mom was like 5'10", 5'11". Her dad was 6'3". So it's 
was on that side of the family. My mom was five feet tall, so <laughs> it didn't come from my mom. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm 6'1", so it, it's one of those situations where it's, uh, he just did. He played professional basketball for a couple of years in the NBA, and he got went over, overseas and played in Italy for the last 12 years. He just retired last year. So he had a great sport career also. Now he's getting into the coaching side of it. He got a coaching job over in Charlotte right now at a high school there. And uh, he's definitely want to do the college thing, he said. So I told him it's a process. So I'm trying to help him get through it. And, hey, that's a great thing. I'm excited about him being there. And my two daughters, my my youngest daughter is still in college. My oldest daughter just finished. She's, she's um She lives in Gonzales now and just – living life and, and doing well for ourselves also, you know, trying to get the young one out of college coach, trying to get out of my pocket. <laughs> I, I know how that feeling is. Listen, you're not, you know, I'm, I'm retired now coaching. I'm available for lunch Monday through Friday. You know, so <laughs> I, 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 hey, I am available too, coach. We both are retired. Okay, well, let's available. go eat some dead, let's go eat some dead shrimp somewhere. You know what I mean? Uh, that's not like a winner to me, coach. <laughs> But Coach uh, Jason, anything else for Coach Washington? No, again, I just want to say thank you, Lionel, for coming on and joining our show. And um, again, we appreciate you taking the time to discuss that, all your accomplishments and what you've been up to. Uh, we appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. Well, thank you. Expect it. Send me that spiritual message and keep sending them. I'm I definitely going to do that, Coach. I need it also. That's why I do it. <laughs> well, you know, they say most most people miss heaven by 18 inches. That's not what's up here. It's right here. Right, right there in the middle. That's right. Right here. All right, Coach. Take care, Matt. Appreciate you, man. Love you, Coach. Love you, bud. We'd like to thank LSR for sponsoring the Let's Be Frank video podcast. LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Rouse's supermarkets. After the break, we're going to go ahead and discuss our athletes pampered in our Let's Be Frank segment, RPO Offense. Have a coach for the ball coach, and we're going to have our thanks for the memory segment where coach talks about the Nickel State World Series baseballs team. So remember, you're watching the Let's Be Frank video podcast on Varsity Sports Now. Samuel Licardo Jr. and R.E.P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Sammy Accardo and Ari Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. Based out of Gramercy, Louisiana, LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. LSR utilizes the latest innovations in technology, as well as ensuring the growth and stability of Louisiana sugarcane farmers by integrating more than 800 growers in the industry's economic structure. Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Rouse's supermarkets. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Our goal has been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen. 
Starting in 1981 as an industrial vacuum truck company, A3M Vacuum Services has grown to be an industry leader in waste disposal services. Whether it's providing cleanup crews for plant maintenance or emergency crews for environmental cleanup and disposable projects around the river parishes and New Orleans, A3M Vacuum Services maintains the same level of personal customer relations and work ethic that founder Pat Sellers started almost 40 years ago. Proud supporters of Comet Athletics. If you're looking for commercial or residential dump truck services, go with RK Construction. This family owned and operated business has great trucks and are big supporters of high school sports. Smoothie King and LaPlace thanks the community for 29 years. Through the good times and the toughest times, Smoothie King has been here to serve our guests. Whether you're looking for a keto-friendly smoothie, a recovery smoothie, or a healthy, refreshing snack, Smoothie King has you covered. Discover all the ways to be your best self and rule the day with Smoothie King. If you're in need of storage space at your home or business, stop by and visit with the good folks at Acadia LLC. Seth Boutron and his employees are there weekdays from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. and Saturdays from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Give them a shout at 985-359-1333 or visit them at 1301 West Airline Highway in Laplace. Welcome back to segment three of the Let's Be Frank video podcast. We'd like to thank Riverlands Insurance for sponsoring the Let's Be Frank podcast. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Our goal has always been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen. And we're going to go ahead and look at our Let's Be Frank segment where Coach is going to sound off on one topic that's eating at him. And this week, Coach, you decided to talk about are athletes pampered? So, Coach, what do you think about athletes today? Are they pampered? Well, let me tell you what this derived from. Uh, the discussion came about we had a, a get-together, a little social not long ago, just about a week ago. And a lot of the ex-football players were kind of hanging around. And uh, you said, well, they said, Frank, what about how things have changed over, over the years? For instance, years ago when we played for Coach Joe Keller at Reserve High School, there was no such thing as a water break. I mean, if a guy brought the water with a towel out, you would suck on the towel, and that's how you got your water. Or if there was a little pond of water or something right there, he said, tackle in that water, I'm going to drink it. And even though they had little worms in it, but I was going to drink it. Uh, I mean, times have changed. We understand that, that we, we had full practice gear every day. Uh, two-hour practice every day. There's no such thing as, as uppers uh, back back then, and and no one missed practice. I mean, back when, when we were growing up, no one missed practice, and we all played two ways. I remember playing offense and, uh, as a guard, then uh, linebacker on defense, and especially never left the field, sitting in the shower after every ball game because Hurricane um, let's see, Hurricane Betsy hit our school in 1965, knocked all the lights down, so we had to play games on a Sunday afternoon. And guess what we did on Monday? We practiced full gear on Monday after a Sunday game. So uh, that we were talking about that um, at, at length, you know. So nowadays, um, it, it, they, you can't practice two days in a row of, of two days. Um, and the practices are basically in uppers. There's that very little contact now, and we get that. Uh, understand that. I mean, uh, the, 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 everybody has medical um, personnel on the field and things like that. And I had a pocket full of inhalers every day at practice. And uh, ADD is as common as speckled trout. You know what I mean? So, I mean, that's a that's a lot of things that's going on now. And uh, we were talking about that. A, a kid walked in my office one day. He said, Coach, I came practice today. And I said, why not, son? 
uh, he said, I have a, a real bad hematoma. I said, that's a bruise. He said, no, my doc said it's a hematoma. Now, he couldn't spell it, but he knew that he had, he had a bad bruise. And that and that, that got him out, out of practice. No matter how, how much kids love the game of football, they don't really like to practice, you know, because you're going out there with, with 25 pounds of extra gear, uh, you're in the heat of 95 degrees, and and, uh, and, and, and you hit one another and say, Coach, you're crazy. I mean, uh, years ago, we, we talked about this. There's no such thing as water on the knee anymore. And I, I asked that a couple of people, said, what do you mean water on the knee? You asked that the kids right now, they don't have any idea. So you're talking about ice? I said, no. Uh, years ago, if you had a puffed up knee, the doctor would take a syringe and he would drain the water out. I mean, I'm sorry, the blood out. And you can actually bend your knee and you play it. And you played it. If there was a repair, you, you, you repaired it afterwards. So all these things came about. And, and um, uh, you know, uh, the, the, we give a description to everything. A runny nose is now severe sinus infection. Uh, that will get that will get you out of practice. Torn ligaments is really a sprained a sprained ankle. You know, so I mean, um, there, there's so many things out there. But what really gets you, as a coach's standpoint, is that you have trainers. You have a trainer that's at practice, and you have team doctors, and you have physical therapists. And you have people that really take care of these athletes. But what really gets you a kid to leave practice, and then all of a sudden the next day, you know, you don't know anything about it, he shows up with a cast on his hand. And you said, kid, he said, what happened? He said, well, coach, my hand was bothering last night, so we went to the emergency room. They put a cast on my hand. I said, why didn't you tell our trainer or tell myself or someone? And he said, well, he said it was bothering me, so I wanted to get to take care of it. So those kind of things, they take it out of the coach's hands when something like that takes place in, in sports. Now, um, and, and there's also, you know, the, possibly the coach, he looks like the, the, the till of the hunt if he says, hey, get out to practice. He can't do that because once a kid goes to the doctor's office, the coach is diffused and he can't say that. So um, a coach has, that only has 10 to 12 weeks to prepare. And it's not like it, you and I have to heal naturally. And um, that's that's different. So he's, his season is limited to maybe 10 or 12 weeks. So he has to have his best athletes on the field as best he possibly can. So um, there, there needs to be communication better, better communication between the coaches and the parents and, and, and definitely the medical staff. And, you know, everybody said, well, there are more injuries now because athletes are bigger, faster, and um, they, 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 they train more. That's true. And uh, that, that's exactly that's exactly right. But why are there so many more injuries than they had in, in, in the past? There, there are more injuries. I mean, it's very unlikely. A coach told me the other day, he said, Coach, well, we're real good. Just three years ago, he said, all 22 that started the season, ended the season. And, and it takes them all to be on the field. Uh, I might have a, a few years ago, I was, I was invited to go to Canton, Ohio, at the Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. And there's a big forum there. And there were some neurologists, two neurologists there. And I stood up in front of 500 people and I asked them this question. I said, there's a lot of talk about concussion protocol and concussion. I said, can you tell me that, what are the differences in symptoms between a concussion and, and just a person being, uh, you know, uh, a person being dehydrated? And the neurologist said, you can't tell the difference. It's it just a thorough examination is the only way you can tell the difference. The symptoms are the same. So sometimes the concussion protocol is exactly that, is that it's just severe dehydration, which, and I told them, I said, I'm from South Louisiana, where the heat and humidity here is above always 105 or something like that. And I mean, and the doctors do a super job of monitoring that, uh, but they're not with you at, at all times. So uh, our society has gotten to the point where, it, I'm not gonna say that we're softer, 
but I think we, we pamper our athletes to the point because those coaches need those athletes on, on the field. You know, I, I think that's, that's very, very important. And it, uh, you know, it's just harder to get all 11 out there at one time. And that really, really affects the, the football team. And, um, you know, like I said before, if you, you go without one guy, one missing part, and it can really mean the difference. Just like a car running, and I used to use the analogy all the time. If it's if it's missing a spark plug, uh, one of the eight cylinders is not working. I mean, misfiring. It, it, everything's going to sputter. You know, the, now there are injuries. There are injuries in every sport. Um, I don't like head first sliding in baseball, for instance, because it creates a jam fingers and cleat stepping on the hand and stuff like that. In soccer, lower extremity sport, you have a lot of knee injuries in soccer or the head butted. We had a kid that almost lost an eye because he was headbutting a soccer ball and he hits his, uh, his own player. And uh, so you have that in every sport. You have you know, turned uh, ankles in basketball. Uh, so so they're there. It's part of it's part of sport. But yet the most important thing is rehab, and not not the fact that what the diagnosis was, but rehab those things and get those athletes back on the field faster. I think that's the most important. That's what the, the coaches want because, remember, their season and their job is on the line to get their best players out there. But remember also, a coach, has, he has no authority. Once a guy walks to the doctor's office, the, the coach has, has completely no authority whatsoever. And that doctor, uh, we understand with the liabilities that he has, we understand that he has to be very, very careful too. He just can't, he just can't uh, give the kid a green light if he walks in that office and says, there's something wrong with me. So the, because of liability insurance and all the things out there, uh, our society is a little bit different. And, and uh, I, just, I just fear for the sport of football because it is a contact sport. And I can see that one day that, that we might end up being seven on seven. All right, Coach, we're going to go ahead and ask you about Football 101, which is a little bit of change of gear here. The RPO offense, which has really become kind of the buzz term in football. Can you go ahead and give us uh, an explanation on what is RPO offense and how is it utilized in not only high school football but at all levels? Uh, RPO stands for exactly run-pass option. And what it is is that um, uh, many, many people, the quarterback is taught from the gun snap. He takes the football and it, and he rides it. It actually becomes a triple option football. He actually rides the, the, the back. The offensive line do not know that it's not that it's not a pass. The offensive line are taught you just block the run, and a lot of it is off of what they call zone blocking. Zone blocking means that all the line will step right at a 45 degree angle, or they'll step left like the 45. They look like the Radio City Rockets when they're doing it if they do it correctly. Okay, so if they step that angle and they block anything in their path, the quarterback if he thinks that the linebackers have stepped up. He's reading it. Joe Burrow was excellent at this at LSU. He pulled the, the ball away from the back at the last minute. That linebacker stepped up. There was a route or complimentary route right behind the linebacker. Now, now many, many people really, really complained about it. Nick Saban was the very first one. If the lineman come out beyond that three-yard buffer zone and he's engaging that linebacker and they throw the ball over his head, that really should be uh, lineman downfield and it, it, it should be some form of interference in, in the penalty. But it's hard, hard for them to see. Now the officials have been alerted uh, to what's going on with that, and they've gotten a lot, lot better. But when they first came out a few years ago, I mean, a lot of offenses were getting big, big plays off of it because it was hard to tell that linebacker, do I step up to take on my guard or do I drop in pass coverage? He couldn't tell whether it was a run. So it, now the quarterback also can hit the ball or – if the outside linebacker crashes too quickly, he can pull it and keep it and run himself. So it does become a triple option type play. It's called the run pass option. Even some people in the pros run it. And the people that do, they get away with it. 
Um, now, what people try to do to combat that, they play a lot of man coverage. And because at least you have somebody running with that guy. If not, if it's in a zone, they will read the zone and, and those, those routes will fit in between those, those uh, seams accordingly. So there, there are a lot of ways to do it. Now, you don't have to be a zone step guy. You can be pulling guards. You can pull a guard and a tackle. It's one of the better ways that people do it now. They pull a guard and tackle. The safeties and linebackers have their eyes in the backfield or watching the lineman, and the quarterback can pull it and throw a rod right behind him, and they'll get some big plays off of it. Now, it's, it's, it's really, really hard to stop, but it also is very, very hard to execute. It's called the run-pass option, and some people do a better job of it um, than, than others naturally. But the, with the zone schemes, it picks up the linebackers, and it settles down blitzes. So it, it's a big, big part of college offense now and high school. High schools have done a very, very good job of, of doing the exact same thing. Coach, uh, we discussed off air a, a few weeks ago how, you know, the, the game has changed so much since even I was playing in high school. And even during my time in high school, how a, a four-year stretch, you know, at the beginning of my career, I think we played seven or eight teams that ran a wing team. By the time I left high school, everybody on the schedule was running spread offense. So I feel like this new RPO offense, or maybe not necessarily new, but it's become a big buzz thing lately in, in football in general. And we're seeing this this new wave of offense kind of take over all levels of football and even at the junior high level. So moving forward, I think we're going to see one of those drastic changes that takes over similar to how the spread kind of took over and kind of washed out the wing T offense in high school football. But I tell you what, what I did not mention is that they're also using the fast pace offense with it. And that's really, really hard to defend. That means you can't sub personnel. So what you have on the field, you have to deal with it and you have to make the adjustment accordingly. And, uh, you know, people are getting snaps off every, every 14 seconds and that's really hard to defend. And uh, the problem with it, you better make at least one or two first downs or else your defense is back on the field. I alluded to the Benton game and the Newman game. That's exactly what happened to Benton. They're a fast-paced team, and they score quickly, but yet their defense is back out there again, and they get gassed that way, and they can't make adjustments. So defensive coaches do not like a team that run that. One, uh, they feel like they, they're not, they will not be a physical defense and, and two, they can't make their substitutions like they want to. So they have to go in there with a very bland game plan to offset the tempo thing and offset the RPO game. Coach, we're going to go ahead and move forward and see what people have in store for you and blitz the ball, Coach. Um, our question comes to us from Stephen Dewey, and the question is, what was the most successful team that you coached that was considered a preseason underdog? And what led to that team having success? You know, no, Stephen, thank you for that question. That, that, that takes a lot of thinking. I have to go back and some of my, you know, the, uh, I guess the, one of the teams that had a lot of success that made it to the state tournament was just two years ago. And um, my last year's coaching, because that team, was, we didn't have, um, we, we didn't have some components in place. We had a brand new offensive line. Uh, we didn't feel like we had a natural uh, receiver that could well, we had two pretty good receivers, but we didn't know if one could take the top off the off the defense. Um, and we had, we had a, a defense that was brand new. Uh, we had some we had some good players, but um, I guess I could say that. But you know, I've had Stephen. I got to say this, and uh, without really answering your question, I've had some some teams that you know we couldn't score an offense if the defense left the field. And on the flip side of it, 
you know, we, we saw it nice with our defense because it's not the hard marching band. So uh, it's hard to say who's what was about my best team and the greatest expectations. Um, you know, with, with that, uh, I will say this, that the, uh, every team has a different personality and different chemistry. Every team does. And you don't know the, the work ethic of some team. And a lot of them are overachievers. And I think over the years that, uh, that, that we've coached or wherever they might have been, I think, uh, you know, if, when a team tells you or the coach tells you that your team are overachievers, and I think that, you know, it bodes well for, for the coaching staff um, and all the people around you. For instance, I mean, I always said we've never signed a kid uh, in, my, in my years to an SEC scholarship from St. Charles Catholic um, that the years that were there. I didn't have any, I didn't, I don't know if I might have signed, I don't know if I signed any when I was at, uh, at, at Jeff, I think we had one out to walk on the LSU, and he ended up being a center for a uh, deep snap for three years, and, and uh, at Riverside, I did not have one. At Lutcher, we did have, we did have a couple athletes, and, and uh, you know, Lionel Washington was, was great, but we had a couple of people, Terry Russo that played, that played at, at, uh, at uh, LSU, but um, other than that, Steve, it's hard to answer that question directly, but I will have to go back through my books and maybe I'll come back to you with a with more definitive answer on what was the best team. Uh, we had a number of times that we played for the state championship, um, you know, and when John Curtis was in our district, I think we, were, I think we, for four years there, we, we not only met him in the district, we met him again in the, in the semifinals or finals. So um, there were a lot of opportunities that we could have won championship, but uh, they were the, they were the team that blocked us. And coach, we discussed a little bit of your baseball past just a week ago, but in your thanks for the memory segment, uh, which we take a look back at your career as a player and a coach, we want to talk about the Nickel State World Series team from 1970. Coach, can you tell us about that team and what that experience was like to play on uh, a team that, as you mentioned before, was the only team in Nickel State history to ever play for a national title? Yeah. Uh, you know, that, and this all came about some guys that we decided to have a we're going to have a reunion on October 14th. And, and uh, so the guys, I said, well, I got to bring this, this team up. A lot of people don't know that they saw me strictly as a football coach, but my real background was a baseball guy, played for a great baseball coach by the name of Raymond Didier. Um, I, I was started as a freshman uh, at Nickel State. I played at, at a little school called uh, Reserve High School. Steve Delano was my baseball coach. And he, he got me to, to a little scholarship at Nickel State. And, and, uh, but anyway, the 1970 baseball team was the only time in Nickel State history that they played for the national championship. Now, it was, it was in what they call the college division and not the, not the, the uh, university division because our enrollment was like only 5,000 students at, at that particular time. Um, but we had a very good team. We had won the conference that year. And I might say we're probably the best team in the state because we played the old Gulf States Conference. The Gulf States Conference, McNeese, Southeastern, uh, it was uh, Northwestern, um, it was Louisiana, Louisiana Tech, USL was in there, and um, UL Monroe was in there, and Lamar. And um, we played LSU every year, and and and, um, and we always had a lot of success against them. In fact, Tulane would not play us. We, we were really, really pretty good with a lot of local guys, but we were so well coached by Coach Didier, it, it didn't it didn't make a difference. But, um, anyway, this team went on, and we got a bid. And our first, we went to Illinois to play against Illinois State in that regional, and uh, we ended up winning that regional. After losing the first ball game, we came back to win that regional. And then we, we from that, in fact, we lost the first ball game. In the second game, we're about ready to go home. We're losing 3 nothing going to the ninth inning. And lo and behold, we scored four runs in the bottom of the ninth. 
and we beat we beat Middle Tennessee University and then went on to win three more games and we won that regional. The bus driver had already started the bus and we headed back to Thibodeau. But anyway, so then all of a sudden we turned around and played the College World Series and we had to go to Springfield, Missouri. And we won our first two ball games there. And um, and we won a winner's bracket and we had to lose two games to actually not win the national championship. Well, in the, the first game that afternoon, we led five to four. Uh, we, we decided in the eighth inning, we led five, four, going to eighth inning, just two more, uh, six more outs away from a national championship. And we, we didn't get it done. We lost the, that game. And then the nightcap, we saved our ace. Our ace was a guy by the name of Gene Dewey. We saved the ace for the nightcap. And they threw a guy that was actually going to, to the Yankees also. And we lost to a team from California. We lost two to one. And for the national champion, we left the bases loaded with nobody out. And we lost that ball game and lost the national championship. But that, that team was very, very special. A lot of local guys. Um, and Coach Diddy had left his legacy because a lot of us became baseball coaches after that. And a lot of the drills and technique and more, the practice organization that he taught us in, coaches are still doing it now. I really thought he was way ahead of his time. Uh, and uh, as, as, as a baseball coach and just phenomenal guy, wouldn't been for him. I would not have graduated because I wasn't exactly, you know, splitting atoms. Uh, I didn't graduate cum laude. I graduated. Thank you, Lordy. And uh, so thank you, Coach Didier, for, for pushing me to, to go to class and things like that. But uh, he had so much discipline on that on that baseball team. And that's what we won. We won with, with discipline and and, um, and just hard those baseball players that would not give up. And most of us were local, most of between New Orleans and Baton Rouge. And we had a couple of guys from Missouri that also played. But most of them were just, you could throw a rocket and get our baseball team. So um, that's a tribute to, to the 1970. And that, that whole team was inducted to the Dick State Hall of Fame uh, back in 2008. Coach, thanks again for sharing that story. I know a lot of people know about your football coaching career, but not a ton of people have heard about your past in baseball. And again, it's great to be able to share that with all the listeners at home. But we want to go ahead and see where you're laying this money this week. And we'll get a pick from me in our lock of the week. Coach, who are you liking this week? Where are you laying your money? Well, if, you, if, you, if you're smart, you would not go with me because I've not been very good. And I'm going to go with Clemson. I'm going to lay Wake Forest. Even though the Wake Forest quarterback, I really liked him. He was in a mini camp. Uh, it's a seven, Wake Forest seven-point dog, but I'm going to go with Clemson. I think Clemson's got a lot, a lot of talent on the field. And um, I think uh, Wake, Wake Forest is because they, they just they have a real good football team. And for what they do, they get a lot, a lot of, um, I think, miles out of those football players. So I'm going to go with Clemson because they're just a, a more talented football team. Coach, I don't think going with me is much better at this point. I'm 1-1-1. One, one, one. I had a push uh, two weeks ago in a game that I was sure was a lock. So um, I really think uh, I look at Iowa at Rutgers, a game on the road. Iowa has struggled to score points. They're favored by 7.5 on the road. I'm taking Rutgers. Uh, I was just had trouble moving the football and getting points on the board. They've had to rely on special teams and defense for the most part. Had trouble against an FCS opponent earlier this year in San, Santa, um, South Dakota State. Uh, pulled that game out with, by the skin of their teeth. I think Rutgers is a pretty solid team. They're unbeaten. They're at home. And I'm going to take the underdog here in Rutgers with seven and a half points. Oh, good. That, that's good. Well, I hope everybody, Jason, uh, uh, one last note. I, I am going to be doing the, the Rumble Holy Cross game. It's a two o'clock game Saturday with Ken Trahan on, on the radio. So that'll be a lot of fun. I hope to plug our little podcast, too, at the same time, you know, so we get some more some more people listen to our show and, and send in those questions. I like to 
that that really adds to the dialogue and we can go a lot of places from from a good question thank you again coach for your time and we want to go ahead and make sure you know where to follow us on our social media platforms follow us on facebook at the let's be frank video podcast and follow us on twitter instagram and tiktok at dlbf podcast so that'll do it here for us uh, so for Justin Thomas, for head coach Frank Monica, I'm Jason Duey. And remember, let's lay ball and throw away, let the good times roll.